Hey everybody, welcome back to Challenge Call with Max and Avery. I'm your host, Max. And I am Avery. How are you guys? All right, so today we're going to wrap up some more of the Bears free agency signings before we get into our March Madness updates. Um, These signings are the shorter ones, a little bit shorter time period. Uh, So the first one we got is running back, Travis Homer. Signed him to a two-year deal. Uh, I don't know the. Do you know the prices on any of these guys? Do you know what their contracts are worth? I only have the time. I don't, but I can look it All up. Right. Uh, he was the sixth round pick in 2019 by the Seahawks, and apparently he's a huge special teams guy. I guess he's had a lot of big punt returns, kickoff returns for touchdowns, and he's been a real big special team leader. So, I mean, he could fit well in a running back position for us, but that wasn't his main role with them. So I don't know. I'm a little like. For sure. Uh, This is just kind of like a uh, rotational guy, Uh, but he signed a two year, four and a half million dollar contract with Chicago. So that's not bad. 2.25 a year. Um, Because Montgomery was asking for 18, 18. right? Yeah. So. Which, I mean, he definitely won't hold a starting spot for Chicago. Like you said, he is a special teams guy. I think we brought Travis Homer in as like a replacement for Tristan Ebner. Uh, last year, Tristan Ebner, he uh, struggled a lot on special teams and the touches that he got for Chicago. And he was also drafted under the pace regimen. So I think, like, with this being said, um, Travis Homer is going to come in, kind of work special teams, kind of be that, okay, you know, in case of injuries, here we are. Because that's what he was in Seattle. I mean, he got beaten out. He started the year as, like, their starting running back, but he got beat out by Kenneth Walker. I mean, but they did draft Kenneth in the second round, so, I mean, it makes sense. But Definitely. I I mean, I like him as a special teams guy. He, st- he seems like he'll have a good – good kind of return career and like we were saying last week Khalil Herbert can't carry the entire load himself like he needs he needs some kind of rotational guy kind of helping him out so whether Homer sees the field a ton maybe he's a little bit of that rotational guy uh looks like he only had 19 attempts last season with the Seahawks so he definitely didn't get a lot of touches there maybe we get him a little more to just to get Herbert some rest, I don't know, but I I don't hate it. It's you know four four and a half mil or that's fine. It's whatever. We got we got the space. We've got plenty of capital for sure. I you know I think that's a good rotation guy to bring in. It's always better to bring in a veteran than a rookie. I feel like especially when it's like a much needed like special needs need. Because Travis Homer, he's a good returner too. So we can, and we know all know how Velas Jones struggled last year with returning, fumble after fumble. Hopefully, he corrects that this year. But and I'm super excited for that aspect of it too, because with the past what five ish years or so, I feel like the Bears have had a couple of superstar like kick returners on the team. I cannot think of their name. Patterson is that one of them? Cordero Patterson. Cordero Patterson uh, is one of them. Yep. Yeah. Um. But man, I miss that guy. I miss Cordero Patterson. Me too. He, uh, he was electric. But the Bears are known for kick return because of Devin Hester and himself. Devin Hester was one of the greatest kick returners in NFL history. Um. 
he actually broke Deion Sanders' uh, kick return uh, records, punt return records. He was the greatest kick returner in NFL history. So, like, with bringing in a guy that's solid and specializes at kick returning, I like that. Yeah. Because that's that's a need. Exactly. That's a need. That's, that's something that I like to think we're a little bit known for, like you said. And so when I first read that about him, about Homer, I was kind of like, all right, yeah, let's let's start running back kicks. Let's start scoring with the special teams. Like that's what we well, want to do. How, yeah, that's how you win on all uh, three phases of the game: offense, defense, and special teams. So, like bringing in Travis Homer is huge for us. Definitely. Um, next signing we got is um, PJ Walker, DJ Moore's old buddy, uh, <laughs> Panthers quarterback. Uh, went to them in 2020. Only played six games, seven thir- 731 yards. He's obviously a backup. I mean, we don't need to look too closely at him. He's obviously just kind of a in-case kind of guy for fields going down or something. So, I mean, I think it's a good signing. He's definitely going to be better than um, Simeon. Yeah, for sure. I love P.J. Walker. I've loved P.J. Walker since he was in the XFL. Uh, so PJ Walker came from the XFL in 2020 when they closed down their uh, league and he was the MVP of that shortened season. He had like over like 3000 yards passing and like, he's like that typical of what you want to see from the XFL. He's that type of guy that it's like, okay, that, you know, go out, do big things here. You're going to have a spot on the NFL roster. And he did big things. And, you know, his career stats aren't as great right now. I mean, last year he was uh, three touchdowns, three interceptions. Um, His career stats are still also not as great. Five touchdowns, 11 interceptions. But the way I look at it, he's a veteran presence. And he has similar play style as Justin Fields. And when you, it's like that Lamar Jackson, Tyler Huntley comparison, right? You don't want your offense to get completely flipped on the script. Um, and like, you don't know what to do. Like when Justin goes down. And even, because like, even on top of that, just like similar play styles for sure. But also he was with DJ Moore. Like they already, how we're talking about, we want Justin and DJ Moore to build this connection, get good together, all that. If Justin goes down and we have to throw PJ Walker in, that connection's still there. They've still worked with each other and are familiar with each other. So that, from a backup standpoint, is going to be huge. For sure. Well, yeah. And then you think about it also, and look how bad we were against the Jets last year when Trevor Simeon started the game. Or against Detroit. Uh, the last game of the year when Tim Boyle and Trevor Simeon starting because we they are not any type of play style like Justin Fields. We had to bring in a guy that would be like, okay, yeah, I can, and he can run the scout team for scout team defense, like during uh, the practice week of like other quarterbacks. Like, so like this is like a huge, like, huge move. Like, we got him two years, four and a half mil, also, or 4.15 mil. So, um, a little bit cheaper than Travis Homer. Um, but, you know, the backup quarterback position, we talked about it with Chad Henney. We talked about Josh McCown on our pod. This is one of the most important positions on the football field is the backup quarterback. Definitely. This will be the difference in a late season trying to make playoff, playoff contention type game where, you know, Justin's been beating the shit over the past 
12, 13 games, need, needs a rester or something, you know, can't, can't go that 13th, 14th game. We need a solid backup, PJ Walker, that can come in, fill his shoes, get the job done still. Um, so yeah, I like, I really like this as a signing. I think this is, this is a good one. I definitely approve just on the, as, from a backup standpoint, you know, like obviously not to like come in and start, but still, this is a solid signing just from a backing up standpoint. For sure. I really like this move. So next move we got going on the defensive side a little bit. We got Andrew Billings, D lineman. Uh, he was a fourth round pick in 2016 by the Bengals, went to the Browns in 2020, was with the Dolphins and the Chiefs practice squads before finally ending up with the Raiders. Um, now he's coming to Chicago. This this is kind of like I was talking about last week with, uh, I forget who it was, but just, you know, when you're kind of bouncing from team to team to team to team, it doesn't instill the most faith in my head that you're going to be. Demarcus Walker. Demarcus Walker, yeah. yeah. Um, he's He's only signed him for a year. We only signed him for a one-year deal. So that's, you know, whatever. One year, you know, we'll give you your chance, like show up or ship out. But yeah, I I mean, it's whatever. <laughs> well, yeah, he so Andrew Billings, he's been okay in the NFL. Um, but he signed with Chicago for a one year, two point seven five mil. So pretty cheap. Like veteran, that's that's pretty cheap for a veteran deal. Um but he his career stats, eighteen solo tackles, one sack. Nothing else. Uh, the one thing he has going for him, he's 6'1", three, uh, 323 pounds. I mean, like when I was watching this guy's highlights, um, he just takes up a gap. That's it. That's all he does. He fills a gap. But, you know, with uh, the 4-3, that's all you really need yeah. to do because you have blitzing linebackers quite often coming out of the A gap. So if you can fill up over the other A gap, you're fine. For sure. You, your D-line – once again, not to take away from the position or anything. I think I was talking about this yesterday or a couple days ago at work, but I'm like, it's D-line. Like you said, fill the gap. Just take take up that space. Linebackers are there to clean everything up. Linebackers are your big, like, analyze what's happening. Where's the ball going to? I'm going there. D-line, just fill that gap. Don't let anything obvious by you. And honestly, take up a couple linemen so that the linebackers are are free to move around you know what i mean like if you get hands on a guard or a tackle or something like that's great they can't get to the second level your linebacker will be free to come down and stop whatever's coming so i mean being a big massive guy i he can't hurt a one-year deal see what he's got he's not gonna be an akeem hicks by any means but you know what he'll he'll take up a gap it's fine which he'll do better than Angelo Blackson did last year. I mean, Angelo Blackson got blew off the ball quite often last year. And so seeing a bigger guy, because Angelo Blackson, he was playing D tackle when he should be a D in. And so it's like, okay, come on, like, let's change this up. So I think that's like one of the big things. And, you know, maybe Billions doesn't even start because we'll go with the D tackle in the draft. I guarantee we still have to work on DN. We still got to work on the offensive line. Those interior linemen on both sides of the ball are really crucial still. So I think like that's a huge part. That's true. I, <laughs> with all the free agent signings we've been focusing on, I've, I've honestly lost sight a little bit that we do still have a draft coming up. 
that we're not building our whole team with these players. We've got more that we're going to draft. So that's a very good point. We're going to take, we're going to take some D line, D ends, O line in the draft. Like not all of these guys are necessarily the team. Some of them are like PJ just going to be backups and that's fine. That's good. Some of them will be rotational like Homer or special teams like, like that's fine. That's, that's good. Solid. They'll be the veteran guys so that when we bring in some studs in the draft, they have somebody to learn under. I like that strategy. I think that's smart. Yep. And we did that with Robert Tunyon too, even though we already have Cole Komet on the roster, that's going to help with Robert Tunyon as our backup tight end. Definitely. Um, next person we got, uh, Deontay Foreman, another running back that we're taking a one year deal, uh, third round pick 2017 by the Texans was on the Titans practice squad in 2020. He got moved up to play in six games for them. And he was with the Panthers in 2022 before coming to the bears. Now, um, once again, another player. Did we just trade teams with the Panthers? Did we just like pick apart the Panthers teams and say like, we want you and you and you and you. Hey, you know, I'm okay with it because like, to be honest, this is one of my favorite signings of free agency, Deontay Foreman. Um, Deontay Foreman, he signed a one-year three-mil deal. So it's kind of a prove-it year. It's like a prove-it deal. Like you're getting three-mil because I think he'll compete for Khalil, with Khalil Herbert. Oh, easily. I think, he's, I, th- I think he's a great guy to fill David Montgomery's spot. I mean, let's just looking at his last season, he had 203 attempts. David Montgomery had 201 attempts. He had 914 yards. David Montgomery had 801 yards. So just looking at that side, they almost had the exact same attempts. He had about 100 more yards than him. Like, I think he's a solid replacement for Montgomery. He's going to be the guy that can actually give us that one-two punch with Herbert still in the backfield. Yeah, and so Deontay Foreman is the reason why Carolina felt comfortable about trading away Christian McCaffrey because he's the one that stepped into that Christian McCaffrey role when they traded him in the beginning of the year. So Deontay Foreman, they're like, okay, we know what we got in this guy. And so I'm very, very excited about this move. I think Deontay Foreman will be a Chicago Bear for years to come because I think he's going to ball out. And I hate to say it because him and Khalil Herbert are similar play styles. Mm -hmm. They're both ground and pound. But I think Deontay's a little bit better than Herbert. And he's bigger. He's six foot. He's 235 pounds. He runs like a bowling ball. Now we just need to go get our Brees Hall or like maybe a a Deuce Vaughn from Kansas State or a similar like uh, player like that in the draft as our lightning. And then maybe Khalil Herbert will just always be a rotational guy or he'll end up on a different team. Why don't we just use Justin Fields as our lightning? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Justin Fields is a quarterback. I am so tired of people saying Justin Fields is a running back. He is a quarterback. He is a great passer. I'm sorry. Yeah, he's a great passer. That doesn't mean he can't run though. Like, I've, sure. I've said multiple times he is a running back because quarterback, you know, by all means should be a type of running back. You're talking about running backs as anyone in the backfield that's going to run the ball. By that definition, he is. He is a running back. He's a quarterback sure. more specifically, but he's a running back. He can run the ball. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I just, um, 
I hate the stigma that Justin can't throw. I mean, I know this is going on. To me, that's a completely different story. Like no one's saying he can't, me personally, I know people are saying he can't throw. But like when I'm saying he's a running back, I'm not saying he can't throw. He can throw perfectly well. He can also run. He's too fucking dimensional. Like (laughs) I think he's going to be great. For sure. I, but yeah, I think, uh, we're going to have a really good offense next year. Well, maybe not really good offense. I think we got to go through growing pains. We're, but, yeah, we're going to have a better offense, and I'm excited to see what Luke Getzey can bring up and let Justin play. Like, let him play his style of football, his type of game. Because you see the games that Justin felt comfortable, New England last year, uh there was Minnesota last year. You saw those type of games that he just kind of came out as himself. And like, I want to see that from Justin. I want to see that. Like, I want to see that. And I want to see that from DJ Moore. I'm so excited to see DJ that's, Moore. That's going to be the big thing. It, frankly, even, even with the O-line still needing a little bit of work and whatnot, like we're talking with Justin being such a running type guy is now we're going to have that similar kind of duality of he's going to scramble, he's going to move and he's going to be able to, you know, avoid the pressures and avoid the defense and whatnot. And he's got two options from that point. He can either find DJ Moore somewhere downfield, who's probably going to be open somewhere and get him the ball, or he can take off. So we just, now we have that exact same like scramble, run around, drag out the play, but he has an option to actually throw it instead of just take off. So that's going to be the huge fundamental difference in our offense is we have a receiver who in an ideal world should be open after, you know, after like a five, six second, like snap, once you're five or six seconds after the snap, that shit's breaking down all over in the back. Like someone will be open somewhere with the three receivers we have now, and he'll be able to throw it. The biggest thing is going to be now, is that going to be his first instinct? He's so used to taking off that I feel like he's going to be reluctant to want to keep his eyes downfield and look for the throw first, but it, it'll come. I think later in the season maybe, but it'll it'll develop. It'll come. For sure. Yeah, and I really hope it does come because at this point in time, like we need that to come because we put all our chips. We had the number one pick. We could have taken a quarterback. We put all our chips on you, Justin. Don't mess this up because we believe in you. <laughs> so that was a little pressure no right pressure. there. <laughs> Don't say no pressure. You just said no pressure. <laughs> put some pressure on the man. Damn. Uh, <laughs> well, if he's listening to our pod, I'm sorry. No, okay. <laughs> he's listening to our pod, Justin. Please uh, reach out. Like we want you on. Come talk with us. Well, I, you know, I was talking to Ryan Poles the other day, and. Uh, yeah, he's like, yeah, he's just so busy right now. And then he's like, maybe you could get Luke Getzey. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. I'll take Getzey. That's fine, too. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, last, last signing we have to talk about is Dylan Cole, another linebacker. Uh, one-year deal, once again. He signed with the Texans in 2017, so he was undrafted originally. He was, however, the first rookie in NFL history to record at least five sacks or- Five tackles, a sack, and a pick six in a single game. So that's kind of neat. Um, I think he did that against the Titans, and he actually signed with the Titans in 2021. Um, and so that's who we got him from now. So this is – I know we said our linebacker core is improving, and it looks good and everything, but I think this is a decent 
rotational backup kind of guy to bring in, give a year, kind of see what he what he contributes. Yeah, he uh, we signed him for a one year nine hundred and fifty thousand dollar deal. So he signed for a veteran present, uh, veteran minimum, and so I think that is kind of like okay, you know, things didn't really work out in Tennessee. Like, here's this contract. Come compete in training camp. Come compete in preseason. Try to make the fifty three man roster. If you don't, you know, practice squad once again, you know. But hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Hopefully he is the rotational guy and maybe he does see the field a little bit, but I don't see it from him. I mean, just kind of seeing what he did last year. It's like, okay, you know, maybe he had that just, you know, that fluke type of season or fluke type of game. And those happen, but at the same time, you got to think when they, when those fluke kind of seasons happen to like really good star players, they're still not that bad of seasons, <laughs> you know, they're sure. pretty solid. So for him to have a, a real down season last year is a little like, okay, you're definitely not the guy. You're definitely not a, you know, compete for a spot per se kind of guy. I think he's more a good backup. We got a couple guys that go down hurt or out, whatever. I think he's a good, he can fill in if need be. I agree. I agree at 100%. I do. I mean, that's kind of all like the free agent moves that we have for Chicago, but I do have an Iowa football news. Um, um, James Rasier, he's a four-star prospect. He just committed Iowa quarterback or quarterback out of Jacksonville, Florida. He just committed to Iowa. Iowa. Yeah. I just saw that on uh, the msn news pop up so we, uh, so we yeah we, we got a four-star quarterback now um that that can replace mcamara when he graduates next year yeah but then what happens to um who's our third stringer oh my goodness uh what, iowa who played against kentucky i don't know is he any good i thought he was okay we thought he was decent um Hold on a sec. This is embarrassing. Um, what is he, sorry, uh, guys? Is he a sophomore? He was our quarterback. No, I yes, I know. Was he a sophomore or? Yeah. Um... So, in theory, then. No, Labus. Labus. That's right. Labus. Yeah. <clears throat> and he's a sophomore. So maybe you know, Cade McNamara. He starts for a year, and then Joe uh, Labus. Joe comes yeah. in, and then we get this. Yeah, four-star receiver. Uh, so as long as he's okay with sitting a couple of years, if if he does, I feel like him and Labus will probably. I feel like there will be a lot of competition there to like, oh, who's going to be the guy? I feel like he could easily take Labus's spot, depending on how he develops in that first year. But you're sure. But yeah, no, I figured I'd throw in some Iowa football news yeah, that's, there. Because- that's actually super helpful because just. I don't know. I, trying to recruit a quarterback at Iowa feels impossible for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. So getting a four-star guy, the last four-star guy we have gotten was Spencer Petrus, unfortunately. And that didn't turn out very Why'd well. You tell me um, that? Why did why, why we got to bring um, that up? <laughs> <laughs> but and then the second was CJ Beathard. So, I mean, hey, you know, we're one and one right all now. All right. All right. Let's, He'll, let's get in. the uh, tiebreaker. This will be the tiebreaker if that, you know, because you got to think about it. In Iowa, we're not going to get a five-star recruit. No. 
for at court at the quarterback position. Maybe offense line, defense line, secondary. I feel like we but, could if if like I'm talking like down the road if we started becoming like the Big Ten West version of Ohio State or something, you know, which right. I mean, we're kind of like float with a little bit right now. Uh, only problem is the Big Ten West is a lot worse than the Big Ten East. Um, but we don't need to talk about that. But if, yeah. you know, if Iowa did like consistently start cracking like top 10, maybe made the playoffs two or three times in a five year span, I could see a five star coming out. With that being said, you would have to get rid of the coaching staff. Well, I mean, yeah. Going <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's for another day. <laughs> yeah. That's I, how long. How long does Kirk has left? Come on, he can't live forever. And yeah, no kidding. I guarantee he'll die in the office before he leaves being an Iowa coach. <laughs> 85 years old, standing on the sideline. Good job, guys. He's going to be rolling out to games in his wheelchair with his oxygen tank behind him. Oh, like, yeah. All right. And then Brian's like, he still hasn't given me the job yet. <laughs> oh, fuck. I swear, if that's <laughs> Iowa football for the next 15 – Years, I'm a Cyclone fan. I don't care what anybody says. I am Iowa State all the way. You see this calendar behind me? No, that's not an Iowa calendar. I feel like I'm. I'm gonna. Sw- I'm a flip. I'm a switch teams. I'm out. I can't. I can't. Oh, I can't. That's well, fine. speaking of college, let's get into a little bit of our March Madness here. Um, it has been mad this year, like truly mad. Um, <laughs> anyway, just to give you guys update on how the Sweet Sixteen went. Alabama, San Diego State. San Diego State won it 71 to 64. I had Alabama winning it all, so I am very displeased with uh, how that game went. I know one of the coaches in our group chat was like, oh, Max is sweating right now. They were down. They had like five or six minutes left or something. And I was like, nah, because what have I always told you? Like, they're only down like five or six points. There's like five minutes left. I'm like, the good team knows how to end up on top. They're fine. I'm like, I'm chill. It's whatever. Then with about 20 seconds left, I was like, okay, maybe I'm sweating a little bit. <laughs> you know, like the pr- one flaw with that is all of these teams are the good teams. Now. It, that, We're that like, is at that point of the tournament where all of the teams are the good teams. So they all know how to finish games. They've all had to win two, three games to get to where they're at right now. Plus their conference tournament games. So, they're all polished. This is their perfect, like, you know, product. And so that's where it comes into an issue. That is true. That We are definitely past the point where, like, hey, now you got to be on for a full game. We're past the point of having any wiggle room. Let's put it that way. Like, you, you got to go out and make every single play, offense and defense. You can't take a play or two off on either side because – you're at the point where if the other team doesn't take a player two off, you you're you're screwed now. You just got down and you're not catching back up. So this is definitely a crucial time. Um, second game we got number six Creighton <laughs> versus number fifteen Princeton. Creighton did win it, eighty six to seventy five. I know Avery feels happy about that. I. I I am so – I have mixed feelings about this game. So I've been cheering for Creighton all year. Like, uh, well, all tournament, ever since their Big East tournament. Um, because, you know, UNO sucks at basketball. 
Um, but so I've been cheering for him every single game, you know, hometown team, let's go. And then they run out into like the Cinderella team of the tournament. And I'm like, no, no, because who do I pick? Because I love underdogs, man. I love chaos. And like, for I know me and Max were joking that if Princeton made it to uh, the final four, we were going to buy Princeton t-shirts. And so like, I was like actually wanting to get a Princeton Tiger t-shirt. Um, but I'm very happy with Creighton, you know, if, you know, one team had to lose, I guess I was going to go with Princeton, but oh my God, man, uh, Greg McDermott is just one of the best coaches in college basketball history. He has 300 wins at Creighton before he took over at Creighton. He was like, uh, Creighton was a perpetual loser, kind of like UNO, um, and Greg McDermott took over this team and he never left for a better job. He just built Creighton into that powerhouse school that they are today. And they're showing it. I mean, they've already won one uh, championship under Greg McDermott. How long has he been at Creighton? Uh, Greg McDermott has been at Creighton for. Cause yeah, I've, I've always known or thought of Creighton as they're like a top notch kind of elite basketball school. So to think of them as the, you know, like UNO standings, like that would have had to been before I really paid much of any attention to basketball. Greg McDermott's been at Creighton since 2008. Dang. Okay. So a good one. 2008 into uh, 2020, well, present. <clears throat> yeah. And, you know, Greg McDermott, he's had a lot of stuff with uh, Creighton too. I mean, he coached his son, Doug McDermott. Um, and that's the year like they went so far. Um, but it's his overall record at uh, Creighton right now is 300 wins, which is kind of cool because against Princeton, that was his 300 win. 381. That's insane. That win percentage is insane. Um, yeah, his oh, and a little fun fact since we're talking about Greg McDermott, he was uh, Northern Iowa's coach hey. from 2001 to 2007. So, I mean, there, there you go. There's a little history there. Um, uh, Greg McDermott was uh, UNI's coach. But, uh, yeah, so with Creighton, I just I keep hoping, like, they keep moving because they're such a small school compared to, like, a Texas, uh, Alabama, like, a San Diego State even. So, like, to see a smaller school get this national recognition is awesome. Yep. At this point, spoiler alert, um, I've only got Texas left in my bracket anyway. So outside of what goes on there, I'm all good for anything. So Creighton, you go, you <laughs> keep, keep on for pushing. Sure. Um, speaking of my bracket, next game, uh, number four, Tennessee versus number nine, Florida Atlantic. FAU did win 62 to 55. Um, I had Tennessee going final four. I had them beating Purdue actually in this round, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the hard thing about I, it, I, I was worried about this happening, though. The biggest reason I was worried about this happening is because I had Tennessee going so far based off of their defensive um, game, like how accredited they were defensively. And I knew their offense was average, if not media. Like their their offense is very average. They have an average offense for a college basketball team. Their defense is just killer. But 
I started to worry about that as they started facing a lot, some really good teams, is you have to be able to keep up. Because, like, they held FAU to 62 points, you know? If you hold a team to 62 points, like, what are you thinking? Is that a one game or a loss game? That that should be a one game. Look at every other score we're about to talk about. I know we haven't told the fans what all of them are yet, but the next lowest score is still higher than 60, what, is 65. And that was yeah. a losing score. San Diego State had 71 against Alabama, 65 in that, or 64 in that loss. So if you hold a team to 62, you should win the game. But if you only score 55 points yourself, that's, that's not an effective business model, people. <laughs> For sure. Um, well, one, I mean, FAU is the new darlings of the tournament of being uh, the lowest seed at number nine. Uh, there's not a lower seed after. Um, spoiler, of, uh, spoiler alert. I mean, but like the one thing I like about FAU is – they know how to flip. They know how to translate to different teams week by week. They don't have one certain identity. Dusty uh, Dusty Mays is doing a really good job coaching that team down in uh, Florida Atlantic because, like, you saw what they had to do against FDU, Fairleigh Dickinson, last, uh, last week. They had to convert into speed because – FDU is speed. Like, they, they were fast. They were quick. They were all over the floor. FAU was able to keep up. Tennessee, they couldn't – it wasn't like speed. It was like, okay, you're going to be big, getting elbowed. Big bruisers <laughs> fucking take a punch kind of. Yeah, and you know what? FAU, they did that, <laughs> and they did that well. Like, so it's kind of great to see, like, the – and that all comes back to coaching. That comes back to coaching. That comes back to players willing to adapt. I loved every aspect of what FAU put on that court. And I and also, you know, FAU, this is the first time ever they will be going to Elite Eight. So this is pretty awesome. That, and that's cool. Like, congrats to that. Like, first time doing anything in program history is always just super stellar. And so especially something this huge, going to the Elite Eight as a nine seed, for the first time in hit like that is awesome. awesome. That is just absolutely incredible. So props to them. Also, Tennessee, what the fuck? Why are you fouling every single play on the offense side of the ball? On the offense side, it's like, what are you doing? The oh reason they have such a good defense is because they're physical. And most guys that. don't like physicality when they're trying to do other things. Dribble the ball, shoot the ball. Like that's like they don't like that. And so that's it, it translates into the offensive side too. Like that's, you know, like it's just they're a defensive team. The only reason they're a defensive team is cuz they're a physical team. And it's that physicality. Yeah. It translates into the offense side too and that that just comes down to refs. Do you have refs that are, you know, touchy like, "Oh, you lowered a shoulder?" or do you have refs that are just like, "Yeah, this happens all the time. It's basketball." <laughs> For sure. Well, I liked watching Tennessee, but I they it was like a foul every other play. Man. Yeah, that's like, that, that. Like I told you, against that Duke game, it was it was super similar in that Duke game. They they racked up the fouls a little bit, but at the same time, I I've heard this before. I forget where exactly, but I also have this bit of a philosophy personally: is to be 
a truly good basketball team or if you want to really be physical and successful as a basketball team, any good physical team should be damn near fouling out by the end of the game. Like if you're not racking up at least four or five fouls a game, you're not being physical enough because refs are going to call something on you at some point. And if they don't, you, you weren't physical enough. You didn't try. You didn't try to make a play happen. You didn't go for the steal. You didn't try to block the shot. So I truly wholeheartedly believe that if you want to be a physical team, you got to live with fouls. You're going to get them. You should damn near finish the game, like getting your fifth with 10 seconds left. <laughs> For sure, yeah. Well, hey, you know, I mean, they got as far as they could have. I mean, at this point of the game, like, F- uh, no, I mean, FAU was the better team out there. Better coach team, yes. I think. I don't know if they were the better team. I think they were the better coach team. And that's like we, like you said, too, no plays off and everything like that. This, this is going to start coming down to a coaching battle, too. Like we're we're already these are some of the best you know there's what eight teams left five play like yeah. these are the best forty players in theory that like there are in basketball yeah that doesn't work out super well or that's not super great logic but you get the idea together For these sure. are the best units of five of people in the whatever so it's gonna be a coaching battle it's gonna come down to the coaches being like hey you've got the best on the best what do you tell them to do to be T- over top of the others for sure yeah 100 percent. but anyway moving on to our next game this one was a wild one kansas state versus michigan state um kansas state won it 98 to 93 <coughs> and um it should have been 96 to 93 but <laughs> um noel noel i forget how you say his name exactly i think marquise noel noel yeah. yeah, he Noel. I think it's Noel. I think you're right. Um, Noel. He is fantastic. He's incredible. He's an amazing basketball player. But a part of me had to question that like last minute layup with like the clock ticking down. There's like one or two seconds left, and he lays it up. I'm like, isn't in theory in like good sportsman basketball style? Isn't that when you hold the ball? Isn't that when you just kind of dribble it out, win the game, you're up? Like, to me, that just seemed like a little bit of a kind of like, okay, well, you do you, I guess. But I I feel like that's typically the moment where you just kind of let the buzzer sound. For sure. Uh, karma will come back. I mean, I think uh, Kansas State, they look great right now. But uh, karma will either come back on Noel or it will come back on uh, – Kansas State as a whole, hopefully. I mean, because that's what FAU also did to uh, Fairleigh Dickinson. Did you – I don't know if you watched the end of that game hmm. of uh, – was it the Sweet 16? Yeah, sweet uh, round of 32. This, yeah, this, this uh, Sweet 16. Round of 32, um, FAU player went up for a windmill dunk when they were up by six at the end of the game. Hmm. He missed it, did not like that. Dusty Mays, uh, their head coach uh, – apologized to Tobin Anderson, uh, Fairleigh Dickinson's uh, head coach, or was Fairleigh Dickinson. Uh, Tobin Anderson, uh, breaking news, he uh, signed a new job offer with Iona. So he is now a new Iona's coach. So stepping stool there. Uh, But no, yeah, man, I don't think that was right. But I think Karma will come back. 
I think karma will come back. And it wasn't anything like crazily egregious. Like, like I said, it wasn't some windmill dunk. There was a lot of defensive pressure around him. It's not like he was like wide open in a layup or something. The only train of thought I could have possibly thought as far as to why score it versus hold the ball would be so that they couldn't foul. So, you know, so that Michigan state didn't do the typical like foul shoot free throws, try to get the ball back, hook up a three of their own. Cause it was a one possession game. Like there is a world where if he does just try to dribble it out, Michigan state smacks him. He misses the first three throw. They run over, make a three. And now we have overtime. Um, so that is, that's the only frame of mind where I'm like, maybe this made sense. But at the same time, part of me is just, it was, it was one or two seconds. I don't even think Michigan state's getting the ball down the court fast enough after a maybe missed three free throw to have that kind of a chance. But that, that is my one rationale for why maybe that was all right. But um, still fantastic game altogether. It was, it was up and down. Uh, Noel actually went out for a little bit with like a rolled ankle had to come back, and when he came back, he did not drop off at all. <laughs> what an insane play that he one leg, that three-point shot. Oh, my God. That was incredible. Oh, my God. That was crazy. That was inc- Trying to just go around the one screen, barely had time to, like, throw the ball up, and he's just, like, flying to his right still, like, Hruh. Not, and and like like that was insane. And like the one thing he fell flat on his face. He did he did go out. Um he had to go out. I mean that ankle was shot at that point of the game. Like I don't know how he even like was able to walk off the court on that. That was like we talk about high ankle sprains in football and like Patrick Mahomes earlier in the year, like imagine basketball. Yeah, those like those trainers definitely gave him something. So I I guarantee you the minute the game was over. I guarantee you he was sitting in the locker room after the game, and that sucker was starting to hurt like a mother. <laughs> also, did you know he's only five foot eight? Yeah, he looked pretty short. <laughs> but, uh, Marquise, uh, Marquise Noel is five foot eight, 160 pounds. I didn't. That's a shout out to the short kings everywhere. I didn't. Like, I didn't know how tall he was exactly, but like when you're watching him play, you can tell like he's not a tall guy. Like you can definitely tell he's not a height gifted guy. That's insane. I love that. I mean, being a short guy myself, uh, uh, that right there. A shout out to all of us out here. You know, hey, you're doing big things on a big level, collegiate level. Keep going. Keep going. All right. Next game we got my only saving grace hope for uh, my bracket. Number two, Texas versus number three, Xavier. Texas won it 83 to 71. Still looking good. I like I like that score differential. With Texas being my last hope for like my final four continuation, etc. I, I like them putting up that big of a differential on a seeded team that's like right next to them. Um, I think they could questionably win the whole thing now that Alabama's out. They got a good shot. I mean, um, I don't know if they get past uh, the next round. I think uh, the next round that will be like the deciding factor for them. But yeah, I think uh, they got a good shot. I'm praying for your bracket. I didn't watch this game. Um, 
I didn't have time. I was watching other games, but yeah, so I don't really know. I haven't really watched Texas this whole bracket. I really haven't much either. Um which is weird cuz I mean like yeah, they're my team and I want to support them, but at the same time, I think after just seeing the scores from the round of 64 and round of 32, I normally watch the teams that are going to nervously make me cl- think it's close. So yeah. Texas has yet to give me that, oh, I better tune in and watch because like I'm nervous they might not do it feeling. So I, I've i yet to kind of see Texas play either, I don't think. I've, I've maybe watched them once, like against uh, maybe Iowa State. I watched the Iowa State-Texas game or something, but that... Yeah. I mean, so this is the hard part. Tyrese Hunter, they're uh, one of their star players. He scored 20 points. He uh, was uh, a cyclone for uh, two years, and he transferred to Texas. Uh, he played well in uh, Iowa State, and, yeah, he's playing down in Texas right now. That's kind of crazy to think about. Man, in-conference transfers. I, just, I know. Like, I can somewhat understand maybe – moving out of conference like I don't so I just I don't like the principle of transfer I really don't enjoy transferring I don't understand how a team who is not good is supposed to ever get good when kids are like aren't forced I I don't want to say forced or whatever but like if you you can't build a team if kids are going to come and leave year in and year out like you need kids to come and stick around for two or three years to build a program up. So if kids like if you can't get kids to do that or if kids aren't doing that, I I just hate it how a team that's down is ever supposed to get up when good players are just going to leave them because they're down. For sure. Well, and I think the big thing with Texas and the reason I'm not a big fan of Texas, at least this year for men's basketball, is like Chris Beard, uh, their old head coach, and like everything that kind of happened with that and uh, uh, getting arrested for assault and everything well, like that. It's like, okay, and like, that, I'm good. That's another huge thing for them right now, though, is that their interim coach, I don't know his name, whoever their interim coach is, he basically has to win this tournament to, to keep it be the head coach, which I think is ridiculous. You, you just made the elite eight. Like Texas wasn't supposed to be this great this year. And he, Rodney, Rodney, Terry, Rodney, Terry, That's Rodney it, Terry. it baffles me. That, like if they play in the championship, like if it comes down to Texas playing, I don't know who is San Diego state or some shit in the championship and Texas loses. They're, they're really going to let him go. They're going to hire somebody out. Like, come on, dude. Like he's doing a great job. Like I think he's already made his case for, Hey, we should well, just bring this guy on. Yeah. And I talked about the negative with like Chris Beard and everything, but like Rodney uh, Terry, uh, he was on the coaching staff before Chris Beard. That was the stipulation by the men's basketball program to keep Rodney Terry on the coaching staff. So he wasn't one of Chris Beard's guys that he brought in. I like that because he's not really associated with Chris Beard. He just had to work with Chris Beard. Um, And so I really enjoy, you know, like, yeah, to give him a shot. That is a good reason why I would like Texas to go 
farther. And but there's also teams that I just looked it up. There's teams that are interested in him. Penn State and Cal are interested in Texas interns. For sure, Rodney. And he's gonna get a coaching job. Oh, for sure. I'm not saying he's not. I think it's just a matter of, you know, like does he want to be at Penn State or Cal? Like, I mean, he's been a Texas coach like you said, ever since before Coach Beard was there even. So, like, his first option, I'm sure, isn't to leave Texas. If it now Texas A&M or somebody was offering him, maybe that'd be kind of whatever. Like, oh, yeah, sure, you know, like, I'm in Texas. Like, I'm still home. But just because he's going to have a coaching job doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't want to be the head coach at Texas. You know, like I'm sure he wants to stay there, be there, and frankly, just continue doing the job he's doing. He's already the interim head coach. It's just, you know, sign a piece of paper. For sure. Yeah, 100%. But um, getting into the next game, number one, Houston versus number five, Miami. Number five, once again, Miami, 89 to 75. There are zero one seeds left in this tournament. Not a single one seed has made it through. Can you believe Drake almost beat this Miami team in round of 64? Do you think in theory Drake would uh Drake would be in the end no. right now? <laughs> oh, no, no, not at all. But I just I find it crazy. It was 67 to 65 or something like that in round of 64. And then here they are demolishing number one Houston. We've talked about it already, uh, especially with Brown to 64 games with Houston, how like sus- uh, like suspect they were. like, And they played against Northern Kentucky, and they, and they came out. They played better against Auburn. Uh, but, God, man, it was rough. My, my biggest thing, I was never a very big believer in Houston. Um, I did have them going to the Elite Eight as they uh, – Texas is the team that's going to play Miami now. But – I did have them going to the Elite Eight and playing Texas, and I had Texas winning it. But um, I was never a huge, huge believer in Houston just because, like, when we were making our brackets and stuff or when we made the podcast bracket, Houston only played two top 25 teams, and they were one and one in those, like, of those two games. And so I just – I they're the number one seed overall. Like, they were ranked number one for college basketball – and a part of me was just trying to figure out why, <laughs> like who did they play and who did they, you know, like, like we're always looking at the competition thing. You got to do the competition comparison and all that jazz, but they didn't play anybody top 25 really. And when they did play somebody top 25, they lost one of those games. Like I, like, I think they're a little overrated. I don't think they should have been number one ranked in the country. But I no, I don't. I don't think so either. I think they would have been a solid three. Yeah. I think they would have been a good three. Like can't because the way I compare Houston is to Kansas State. I think Kansas State and Houston, like they play similar. They look kind of like the same type of team. I think, and you know what, they could have gone as far as they did as being a three seed. Also, yeah. I mean, but <clears throat> you're right, man. Um, Houston, they are just that defensive team. They don't have that firepower on offense. And it really showed when you go out against a team like Miami that has firepower on offense. Wong, uh, their uh, guard, he balled out 23 points. That's insane. Um, 
he just had like one of the best games of his life against them. So I'm sorry, Houston, but you're you're gone. You're you're done. Like Max said, no number one teams left in the tournament, which is insane. Absolutely insane. We have two threes and two fives. And and a two and a two, a six, and a four and a nine. <laughs> <laughs> does not make sense. Like you mentioned last week. Who does these uh, who does these standings? Exactly. Who, who sees these it. games? <laughs> oh man. But yeah. <laughs> Next game, speaking of there only being one number two team left, number two UCLA just lost to number three Gonzaga, 79 to 76. This is like outside of the Kansas State Michigan State game. This is like the only close, close game we had this round. Uh, and, you know, crazy enough, it wasn't that close. I mean, not like, originally. No. Well, and it was the other way. UCLA was demolishing Gonzaga. Yeah. It was like 50, 52 to like 39 or 52 to like 35 or something. It was like a big upset score. And Gonzaga climbed their way back, drew Timmy, one of the best uh, posts in the country. He scored 36 points. And this Gonzaga, like we mentioned earlier, this is exactly why I always say I do not pay attention to the score until there is about five, six minutes left, maybe in the game. Like I really don't care who's up on who. If it's the first half, I might not even be paying attention to the fucking game. I don't care what's going on in the first half. Oh, it's 15 to 40 at the end of the hat. Like that's crazy. Okay, whatever. That could be come back from. Like, it's basketball. It changes on a dime so easily. And, like, this game just shows it perfectly. <clears throat> How quickly you can have that kind of a swing to be like, okay, well, Gonzaga was, you know, getting demolished. And then, boom, by the time the buzzer went off, they were on top. It Basketball is just wild. And so that's why I always am just like, nah, five minutes left, we'll talk. But before then, just I, anything can be undone if you've got five minutes of basketball in my head. Just about any score can be undone. For sure, 100%. I mean, kind of, I'm, I'm starting to see that. Uh, I just thought it was crazy, Gonzaga, like the knock on them all year is they couldn't hit from behind the arc. Well, they could hit from behind the arc, and they could hit well from behind the arc. So, like, it was just really cool to see. Yep. Um, last game of the round of 16, number four, UConn versus number eight, Arkansas. This is a wild match. How did we get this matchup in a sweet 60? Kansas should be here. I'm still salty about that. But UConn did win 88-65. to 65. Um like I said, should have been should have been Kansas. Should have been Kansas. Yeah, like this would have been Arkansas. this would have been a good game. Would Kansas have played? <laughs> yeah, uh, Arkansas showed that they did not belong. Uh, it was just a demolishing from game from when it started. It just I'm pretty sure UConn went up like thirteen, like three. It was like what, and then they never like held back. So. Congrats on UConn. You're moving on. You had a pretty easy uh, Sweet 16 matchup. Right, yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, for our Elite Eight games, we've got 
number three, Kansas State versus number nine, Florida Atlantic. Who are, who are you taking to move on in that, that matchup? By the way, it's going to be Saturday at five o'clock. That yeah, I got, today at five o'clock. I got FAU. I got Florida Atlantic. I got to go with the Cinderella story. Keep going. Um, I really like Dusty Mays as a head coach. I think he'll do really well against Kansas State. And I'm kind of concerned Marquisa Noel won't be healthy. I I like Kansas State. I was just going to say, I don't know how Noel's going to be feeling, but I feel, I think Kansas State's going to do good. I A nine seed this far is just insane. And I think, I mean, I love it. I love seeing a little bit of chaos. At the same time, whoever wins this game is going to play the winners of the next game, which could potentially be UConn. And one guy in our coaches league has UConn winning it all. So I really need a team that's going to say no to that. So I'm I'm hoping for Kansas State here. I'm hoping Kansas State can show up, put UConn in their place before moving on to the championship, and I can at least get second. <laughs> for sure. Well, I don't think you got to worry about that much because I think UConn will lose this upcoming week against number three, Gonzaga. This Okay, next game, which is also yeah. going to be today at uh, – about 8 p.m. These game times are weird. It's actually 5.09 and 7.49 uh, or 51. Like, they're super weird. I don't know. About 8 o'clock Central. Um, number three, Gonzaga versus number four, UConn. The only reason I need Gonzaga to win that, or the only reason I need UConn to win that one is because the coach currently in third place, our head coach actually, has Gonzaga winning it. So if, if he gets that, then uh, he uh, starts starts catching my end a little bit. Now, if Texas moves on and he gets that one, we're both just going to move like the same amount. So I guess that's kind of yeah. whatever. But if I miss on Texas, but he hits that, he, he passes me up for that second place spot and we're only paying out through the first two spots. So I need one of those first two. <laughs> for sure. Well, I need Gonzaga to win because of my bracket, even though mine is shot. So it doesn't even matter. I'm not even close. Um, but I like Gonzaga in itself, so I got to go with Gonzaga. I'm sorry. I, I do think there's a chance, Gonzaga. Like I said, as long as Texas does it, should be fine for me. Shouldn't matter. For he, sure. He yeah. did have Houston winning it all, so we know that's definitely not going to happen. So so hopefully, I, hopefully I'll be all right. Hopefully Texas can just ride it out for me. Um, yes, sir. Next game, number five. Tell me if this sounds like an Elite Eight game. <laughs> number five, San Diego State versus number six, uh, Creighton. Yeah, no, I uh, absolutely love this. Five, San Diego State versus number six, Creighton. Why? In Elite, in elite Eight. Like, I mean, they're all, you know, they're higher seeds, and that's cool. But you know what? I'm torn about this game too, right? Because like one of my like computer generalized bracket that that randomizer that I did, it has San Diego State go into the final four. And I kind of want that to be right, but at the same time it's Creighton. And like so I feel like I had a little more biasy with Princeton Creighton. So I'm really cheering heavily on Creighton. But I wouldn't be mad if San Diego State like pulled off a crazy upset. Well, because, I mean, even though they're higher seed, uh, Creighton is 
uh, on DraftKings, they are uh, favorite. the favorite. I think we say higher and lower seed backwards. <laughs> I yeah. I say high seed is like a one, two, or three seed because like in my head, rank it like that's high. Like you're ranked highly. Like that's a high seed. Um, you know what I mean? I say. I say like low seed is like like number you know like number yeah. wise yeah yeah one two three I just, it threw me off for a second there I was kind of like high what low <laughs> uh, <laughs> words but I, I mean people do it both ways I know people flip flop all the time but yeah I do high seed like highly ranked like you are you know high up so I think high is like your sure. number one number two guys um. This game is going to happen uh, on Sunday, about 1.20 p.m. Central Time. I I think I'm going to take San Diego State. I just oh, – I, I mean, I don't know. Creighton, wow. when you look wow. when you look at, like, the paths, they – You know what? Podcast over. Podcast who'd over. Sandy, who'd San Diego State play last – well, Alabama. Who'd they play before Alabama? Because, like, Creighton played number 15 Princeton. Cool. I mean, not saying Princeton's not good. They made it to the Sweet 16, but they're also 15th seed. Uh, San Diego State had to knock off number one Alabama. Um, and before that, so I just, I don't know if Princeton, wow. I don't know if Creighton has played up a ton in this tournament. I think they've mostly well, I mean, played lower seeds, whereas San Diego State. San Diego State well, they they had to take out a one seed, and who'd they have before that? Who'd they play? Round of 64, Charleston. Yep. Okay. And then round of 32, Furman. Oh, they did have a Furman thing, didn't they? So, I mean, they, they haven't done as well as, like, you know. So, who did, and then- who did Creighton? Yeah, look at look at Creighton. I know Creighton would have played number 12, whoever. Right? Or, no, that'd be a five matchup. Creighton played number mm-hmm. 11, whoever, right? That's how that normally works. Yeah, so Creighton has played. Creighton had to play Princeton, of course, in yeah, uh, yeah. round of. Uh, but round of sixty-four, they played North Carolina State, NC State. They were eleven, and then they played Baylor, number uh, three Baylor. So, I mean, yeah, they had an easier matchup, but was Princeton a little bit easier matchup over Furman? Like you know, it, like so, yeah, they had to beat the number one team, okay, Alabama, but maybe. But Baylor and North Carolina State, like that's so. In in theory, San Diego State had to knock off one, or San Diego State's biggest win is number one Alabama. Creighton's yeah. biggest win is number three Baylor. Baylor. So I mean, San Diego State did did have the higher level game. Um, score differential wise. It's somewhat even between these pat this last matchup, but like that was fifteen Princeton. Still, I'd have to see the Baylor game again. But um, yeah, no, I like San Diego State. Maybe it might it might be a color schemes thing. I'm not gonna lie. San Diego State's got some red. I like red. It's my favorite. It pops. But uh, <laughs> I don't like the baby blue. I, yeah, I I might just be basing it off of color. I have to. Sorry, I I like I like red teams. I like red, red. <laughs> Um, but yeah, San Diego State for me. Sorry about it. <laughs> next, next game we got five Miami versus number two Texas. Going to be played Sunday at four o five Central. 
I take Texas. I need Texas. I have to take Texas. I took them. I took them championship. I think Miami will give them a run for their money, but I do think Texas well, pulls it off. I, I really do. I think Miami. It's gonna be a lot closer game than Texas really has had in this tournament. That's. I feel that's like Texas the, is just. Rolling. Yeah, that's the biggest reason I do feel good about Texas. Is like you said, they. Which I mean, you take it as a pro or a con. They haven't necessarily had a super close game. Pro, right. they've been beating the shit out of everybody. Con, how are they going to react when they get into a close game like that? You know, yes. that can be the downside yeah. there. And that's what I'm worried about because Miami's been in a like a lot of close games throughout. Like they were in a close game against Drake, and they were in a close game against. Uh, uh, Houston for a little bit. They they were in a lot of close games throughout this tournament. So like Miami's accustomed to winning close games. Exactly. And so if it comes down to it, it's like okay, like Texas, you got to pull it off big. It plays into like I've always said, like the better team knows how to end up on top. That that's not always necessarily the better team overall. It's it's the team that knows how to play close. That I think that's the overarching idea I'm usually trying to get at with that is, Hey, the teams that know how to play a close game, they know how to get it done in the end. So Texas, if they don't know how to play a close game, they may be the better team. But if Miami kind of scares them a little bit toward the end and Texas, you know, breaks down and loses all their composure, then I, you know, Miami could take them. I don't like that thought. I don't want that to happen, but I'm, you know, it's a realistic possibility out there. For sure. 100%. Um, so that's all we got for March Madness. Def- definitely uh, we'll come back at you with our final four guys once we get these games done next week. But I also want to shout out the women's tournament. Um, Iowa just played Colorado, actually. Um, I know you've asked before. Other people have asked me, like, oh, do you have a hard time with that? Like, No. I mean, like, I like Colorado in the same way I like Iowa State. When they're not playing Iowa, I'm going to support them. I want them to do great. But whenever anybody else is going to come through Iowa, it's Hawks all the way, baby. Come on. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, Iowa did end up winning it. Caitlin Clark had a pretty good game. I thought she was a little slow in the first half. She didn't, you know, wasn't, like, really popping off like I was kind of hoping. Um but she did end up by the end of the game. I think she had like 30 points or something. And like, you know, she did what Caitlin Clark does. Just a scoring machine and assisting machine. Half the time, she's not even scoring. She's just making insane assist passes, either down into the post or across the court. Just what a, it is. It is wild. The vision she has to like find her players and how she gets them the ball. Like, Aside from her scoring abilities, that is something that she just does so well. It is incredible. For sure. So I was actually talking to a buddy when this game was happening, and he was watching it, and I was watching it, and he's like, man, I didn't realize that you guys had the best player in the country. Because he you know, he just focuses on uh, his LSU Tigers. Yeah. And so he uh, was focusing on like the girl Tigers because they're pretty solid this year too. And uh, he's like, I think we're going to meet in the championship. I'm like, whew, hopefully. I mean, we, you guys don't have to go through South Carolina. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think we did predict pretty well with uh, 
us going to the Final Four because I think we do have a good shot at facing South Carolina in the Final Four. Definitely. Specifically because Caitlin Clark, man, like like you mentioned, I can't say much more than what you said, but she's just unbelievable. I'm so glad she's a junior because I guarantee she's coming back. I mean, college uh, WNBA isn't like the NBA. They don't get paid as much. I guarantee she'll make more in NIL deals at Iowa than she will in the WNBA. Um, so I am extremely happy. I mean, like, let's she can going. still let's have plenty of spot. Like all NIL is is opening up sponsorship ability in college. She can still have For plenty sure. of sponsors and stuff in the WNBA. Like, sure. She doesn't even necessarily 100%. like she can still work with high V and she can still work. She can even broaden her horizons a little bit because I was a Nike school. So like she mm-hmm. can't do under armor per se, like Stephen Curry. Cause I know one of the coaches is talking about this. They could, if Iowa was not a Nike school, her and Stephen Curry would have so many like sponsorships together with under armor because they play just the exact same way. Like they're both just three point range shooters. So if Iowa didn't have that Nike restriction, like she could easily be doing commercials with Stephen Curry and just making a load off of Under Armour in that sense. But for sure. No, she's what did we figure out? The third third leading scorer in the in history in career points? Yeah. In career points, points per game, she's third on the list as a leading scorer. Yeah. So that's impressive. That is impressive. that is impressive, biggest, you know, mad respect. The biggest issue that will come up with South Carolina, uh, we were talking about this at work a little bit too, is South Carolina versus Iowa. With Iowa, we have Caitlin Clark. We have Monica Sinano. And after that, it kind of starts to trickle off a little bit. Like, okay, yeah, we have some some pretty solid women's basketball players. But, like, outside of those two, no one's really, like, like you know, elite um south carolina they i don't know if they necessarily have anyone that's like elite elite but they have no they but they have five girls that can all get it done real well so that's gonna be the interesting like you know caitlin clark monica sanano versus like five solid girls like working in women working in tandem with each other for sure um no, Aaliyah Boston is uh forward and she is like one of the best players in the country also. Mm. So uh she is incredible. Um but one thing I wanted to kind of look at is like the massive like lengths the South Carolina has had in their games. Uh round of 64, 72 to 30 <laughs> um against Norfolk State, uh South Florida. 76 to 45. <laughs> and then now they play UCLA today, actually, at 115 in five minutes. So oh, all right. That'll be – maybe I'll tune yeah, in. Yeah, we'll do some scouting for them. <laughs> yeah. Woo. But, yeah, those are big uh, big margins right Those are there, big so. margins. Luckily, the Iowa girls do have one of the better offenses in the country as well. Yes. So hopefully they can put up more than, you know, 40 points. <laughs> but – uh <laughs> Their, their defense is a little more questionable. I don't know how well they'll be able to stop South Carolina. But before they do any of that, they do play Louisville um, Sunday, tomorrow. Yep. They play Louisville tomorrow. Uh, one of the coaches I work with is from Louisville. So he's actually going to be uh, 
cheering on the um, the Louisville Cardinals. I'm going to be cheering on the Iowa Hawkeyes. I, I might link up with them. We might go to a bar or something, watch it together. I don't know, but um, go go Hawks. I'm a little nervous, but hey, I I feel all right-ish about it. Yeah, well, in Louisville, they uh, they've actually played Drake uh, in the round of 64, and they won 83 to 81. So it was very close. They almost didn't make it out of the round of 64. Oh. And then round of 32, uh, they beat Texas 73 to 51, and then Ole Miss in the Sweet uh, Sweet 16 72 to 62. Yep. So a little bit there, you know, they started progressing, but yeah, they were almost upset by girls women or women's Drake team. That would have been insane. That would have been dope. But, but um, yeah, go go Iowa. All all we have is our women's team right now. Our our men's team, you know, couldn't couldn't do crap. <laughs> Trap. Um, but yeah, I think that wraps up this episode. Uh, it's been a long one. It's been a good one. Um, please follow us, like, subscribe. Go to our TikTok. Go to our Instagram. Uh, watch us on YouTube, Spotify. However you do, if you watch us on Spotify. Leave a review on YouTube. Comment what you think of this episode. Just reach out to us. Let us know, you know. Let us know if there's anything you want to hear, how we're doing, all that stuff. We we want your guys' feedback, so reach out. And do you want me to sign us up? Yep. Oh, okay. Um, I just got, like, two words. Bear down.